0: Listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant.
1: And I'm your co host, Jeff Link.
0: And today we're here to talk about the Year in Review, legislative review that we do every year. This is the uh, 2016 Year End Review, look at legislation. And um, I think most people know about AEL Tracker, but that's a little tool that we have that. Uh, allows people to find and track legislation, state legislation, that's introduced all over the country.
1: Yep, Advanced Energy Legislation Tracker. AELtracker.org. Cool. We just completed a fourth year of tracking Thanks. energy-related bills. Um, and, and we, we the <laughs> members of our team, read, read all of them. The glorious we. And categorize them and try to make sense of it. And then at the end of every year, Uh, what we do is release a year-end review and so we've done that if you go to aeltracker.org and click on trends and analysis it should be the first paper that pops up it's a 10-pager and that's about as succinct as we can be about 344 advanced energy bills that were signed into law this year, Tom.
0: Yeah, great resource for people who want to see what has passed around the country on state energy legislation. And it's been a really active year. Um, You know, it
1: has. It's interesting, the numbers. It's usually about 10% of the bills that are enacted, or bills that are um, introduced, are enacted. Uh, And this year was higher than that. So so last year, just to give you a, a ballpark figure, there were 3800 bills introduced 3799 and about the same number passed just a little bit more last year this year there were only 2200 2300 and 344 so the, passed so the percentage, the percentage has increased. success yeah. rate went up
0: success rate went up and we also saw some really big bills like just really significant bills of thinking of um, Oregon mm-hmm. they had their 50 for 50% renewable portfolio standard Rhode Island had a 38.5% renewable standard that that passed. These are, you know, we're starting to see more and more of these RPSs um, because we had a lot of RPSs that were expiring either in 2015, 2020, 2025. Right. Right. And as uh, the states start to see themselves meeting those objectives, there's a, there's a real push to extend those RPSs out into, into later years. So Oregon is 50% by 2040. Rhode Island, 38.5% by 2035. And then Illinois had an enormous bill, uh, which is sort of the the culmination of years of trying to fix uh, some issues with their RPS. But it ended up being that and so much more.
1: Yeah, there were several very large omnibus bills. And um, Illinois' d- uh, bill, definitely a uh, uh, future... Future Energy Jobs Bill is the is the title of it. I think really is the is the most heavyweight of the legislation that was passed this session. And um, we were just talking before the podcast about what is included in it, and it's probably ten bills worth of legislation <laughs> in one one piece of legislation. So yeah. we should get into that. But I think we're actually seeing more of this type of thing too. There's Tom. a lot of horse trading went on in that bill. There must have been <laughs> But we're seeing more of these omnibus type you know proposals where um, any number of various different things that could be parsed out into its own legislation is part of a grand compromise. Well
0: yeah, I think, I think we're gonna continue to see more and more of that. You know I mean, in this bill, for example, you know, Exelon had been a bit of a, a, a barrier. Uh, as uh, people had been trying to fix the RPS for years, and this year Exelon got a pretty big subsidy for their nuclear plants, which they said were going to close down because they were uneconomic if they weren't able to get uh, a subsidy to keep them open, and so they got that um, they got that included in the bill, and, and in exchange. Uh, a lot of clean energy advocates got a number of various different things associated with the Renewable Portfolio Standard, associated with solar. Um, there was a, a big issue around demand charges that were uh, mm-hmm. also uh, a part of that bill. There was a, a microgrid component. There was, like you said,
1: a lot of different legislation all rolled into one. Yeah, but uh, but the, the, the kernel of it, right, I think you were describing the I think what brought parties together initially was this request that Exelon had made some years ago, for um, for to be able to recover costs for their um, for their nuclear facilities, and they got a portion of what they had originally asked for. I think they they asked for four hundred million per year, and I think they got two hundred thirty or two hundred thirty-five million a year, plus uh, the ability to raise rates up to twenty-five cents uh, per customer per month, and I think there's a lot. There's a lot out there about various views about what the rate impacts will really be, Yeah. and I think there's probably a lot to sort. In addition to, I think what we would call cleanup legislation, or what I've seen referred to as trailer legislation, that's going to that is expected next session to you know fine tune this. Yeah, because yeah. it came together. Uh, Anything
0: that's this big, right? You yeah. know, there's going to be little things that are that are going to be overlooked or going to be. Uh, incorrectly put into place and they're gonna need to do some various things to to fix that so we have we have this uh, legislation all categorized into various different um, areas uh, for the for the legislation electricity generation economic development um, energy efficiency uh, finance emissions transportation and um, Emissions is kind of interesting. There are 28 bills that were introduced under emissions. Half of them – or 28 bills were were passed under the category of emissions. Half of them were from California. Um, A lot of activity in California really building off of that core – Uh, Global Warming Solutions Act that they had back in 2006 and Mm -hmm. uh, SB 32 and AB 32 AB 32 this was SB 32 probably (laughs) 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 and so they so uh, there's yeah there was an awful lot done in um, in California to to strengthen and update that bill we did see uh, a number of bills that fall under this category that have to do with the Clean Power Plan, and of course, since yeah, right. uh, the election, uh, you know, most folks are thinking that the Clean Power Plan, which is the EPA's um, uh, regulatory um, implementation uh, of the Clean Air Act, um, is probably going to be abandoned by this next legisl- next uh, administration, and so. Uh, some of that legislation probably is not going to be particularly
1: impactful. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Emissions that category was uh, was was quite a bit more interesting, I think, than it has been in, in previous sessions, and and the uh, you know the higher profile legislation being the codifying of California's new targets, right, the forty percent uh, by ni- uh, below nineteen ninety levels by twenty thirty SB thirty two. Um, and we have tracked clean power plan related legislation Mm -hmm. it's tended to be separately it's tended to be procedural in nature and more specifically is tended to um, require approval by state legislatures and so Illinois, Kansas, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia all enacted clean power plan related legislation I don't mean to imply that they all in the same way require legislative approval but that has been the that has been the essence of that legislation in the past couple of years, and I think you're absolutely right with the clean power plan stay, and certainly the election. Um, the vacancy we the would courts. expect, that, yeah, uh, yeah, a any number of things. reasons for for legislative <laughs> attention to probably turn away from this. Yeah, I should point out, I should have said at the beginning, what's really interesting about this session, the volume um, is is quite high, given that eight states. Did not, have did sessions, not fully right. convene their legislatures yeah. in even years. So, That's right. so Montana, North Dakota, Nevada, and Texas have no even year sessions. They only meet on odd years. And then an additional four years or four states: Wyoming, New Mexico, Arkansas, and Louisiana have budget only sessions. Now, uh, three of those four states actually passed energy legislation in a budget only session. But we do see with, you know, the data show that even years are are less active. And that was really not the case this year. I think that's the high level. It was less
0: active in that there were fewer bills, which you pointed out earlier, but the same
1: number of bills
0: were passed, which I think, you know, I think that one of the things that that at least tells me is that states not only are where energy uh, policy is being made, but it's going to continue to be that way and probably will will increase um, as the the federal government uh, is really looking to move away from this uh, area where where the Obama administration the Bush administration the Clinton administration before that were all very actively engaged in working directly with states to try and advance clean energy uh, development and research and all that sort of thing We're you know the indications that we're getting from Uh, you know, this forming uh, administration under the Trump administration is that that's not going to be really a priority of this next administration. So we're going to see a lot of activity at the state level because I think that's where things are going to really uh, be able to be moved.
1: Yeah, no question. States will have to create their their own market certainty, I think, here. So let's talk. Let's get back to it. Energy efficiency. Right. Energy efficiency. Everyone's five, everyone's favorite. Five energy bills, policy.
0: Five bills were introduced on building energy codes. Of course, you know the the uh, international uh, codes that are developed on international energy, energy conservation energy Code. conservation codes. IECC uh, is developed every three years, and right. the last one was 2015. So last year we saw a number of. Bills that were implemented to uh,
1: so these are states updating to updating to ICC their, 2015 yeah
0: updating their codes to 2015. Um, there were five bills that were enacted in in Michigan. <laughs> Michigan had an awful lot of activity on uh, on energy and energy efficiency. Um, also, you know, really expanding their ESPC, the Energy Service per- uh, Performance Contracting Program to enable local
1: governments to
0: participate in, in uh, performance contracting.
1: Yeah, that's uh, you know, working with ESCOs, Energy Savings Performance Contracting. That is a higher than usual number of bills, five bills. That's a program that's been around for a long time. but um, So in energy efficiency, lead by example, building codes, and performance contracting, those kind of led the way.
0: Yeah. In Hawaii, we saw, th- th- I thought this was interesting, you know, Hawaii... It was the first state to pass a 100% renewable portfolio right, standard right. last year. Uh, and now they have a requirement that the Department of Edu- Education reach net zero energy uh, by 2035. So they're really going for it uh, with these, with these wow. standards. They're going, to, they're going to zero in a variety of no, different ways.
1: <laughs> so let's talk financing. Uh, financing and financial incentives, this, this tends to be the biggest category mm-hmm. usually every year. And what, what drives it is um, tax incentives, tax mm-hmm. credits. Um, that actually wasn't the case this year. Yeah, so loans yeah. and grants edged out tax credits. For the first time. For the first the time products. since yeah. we've been tracking these, yeah. these data. Um, what do you think that says?
0: I, you know, I don't know. It could be a variety of things. I mean, I think as the economy started to come back and as revenues mm. started to increase into states... Uh, we saw them putting back in place a number of tax incentives either that had been taken out during the recession, mm-hmm. or maybe as they saw revenues increase, they put some tax incentives in in place mm-hmm. in previous sessions. But those are things that build upon each other, and after you get to a certain level, it, you you don't have as much room to add new tax incentives. You know, right, right. Um, so I think I think it makes sense that we start to see a decline in those tax tax credits and um, and as we saw here a move towards uh, some loan and grant
1: programs. A fair number of property assessed clean energy bills uh, and I think th- so three and I think we're, what we're hearing is that that could be a very popular policy next session as well. So yeah. we've got new guidance from, uh, from DOE. Uh, and new guidance from I believe we F- talked about FHFA. this in a podcast. We did talk about this in a previous podcast. That's so right. residential pace is is uh, open for business, so to speak, in the uh, VA and low income loan uh, space. About twenty percent of the residential. So we may start
0: seeing some more activity. We see right. mainly activity in the commercial pace right. uh, area over the last few years, but we may start seeing some more activity in the residential pace. Is what you're saying?
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Um, I, I want to bring this one up too, uh, Colorado this is kind of a transportation um, issue but it's uh, related to tax credits and, and financial incentives and a lot of states have this sort of a situation where you have the federal tax credit which is available mm-hmm. $7,500 uh, from in for most mm-hmm. uh, vehicles mm-hmm. uh, and what happens is that generally a dealer will deduct that $7,500 from the price of the car that a, a person is paying, and they'll claim that tax credit right. Right, for the, in, instead of the person who's buying the, so the it's car. it's transferable. It's transferred. Uh-huh. But most cases, those state tax credits aren't transferable. Uh, right. And so what happens is that while you may have that additional value of reduction, mm-hmm. You can't take it at the time that you buy the car
1: right and
0: so it actually your your price of the car is higher when you have to finance it you're financing a higher amount and then you get that tax credit back the next year but it doesn't get factored into what you're paying for your car so what Cal- what uh, Colorado did was they changed their existing tax credit which is a significant tax credit five thousand dollars per vehicle mm-hmm. and um, And they made that tax credit transferable, and that goes into effect in January. And we're expecting to see that, you know, those that upfront price of cars is going to come down, you know, by that same amount, um, which is going to really make uh, that financing of a new vehicle very attractive to people in Colorado.
1: Yeah, and that's that's something important to track because Colorado, I believe, still has the highest. Uh, state tax credit for EVs, right, right? and so making it transferable at point of sale I think is an important policy development to track. Um, How about infrastructure? There were 44 bills passed in infrastructure uh, this session. These tend to be, uh, frankly, some of the more complicated bills, Yeah. Um, Yeah. and and infrastructure is a little bit of a catch-all, as as is our regulatory category. Uh, well, you know, be- there's been
0: a lot of talk about things like the Dakota Access Pipeline. Right, and, right. And Kinder Morgan was trying to build a pipeline through Georgia to get gas from South Carolina down to Florida. And an interesting coalition of people <laughs> was formed to uh, pass legislation that took away the power of eminent domain that was being exercised by a private company, Kinder Morgan in this case, to uh, cite... Uh, the the pipeline, it's a billion dollar pipeline. Com- Kinder Morgan was committed to developing, and they've since abandoned it because of this legislation that went through, which uh, basically said that, uh, you know, this private a private company can't exercise eminent domain, taking uh, land from a private landholder um,
1: and uh, using it for uh, for profit. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, uh, and. Nebraska was also interesting to me. Nebraska is, uh, I believe, the only state that does not have any investor-owned utilities. Uh, yeah, it's right. all public power. All so public NPPD, power. the Nebraska Public Power District, regulates public power. They passed a law exempting private wind developers from, uh, from regulation, from being regulated by NPPD. Um, Washington State passed a bill, SB 6248, which allows utilities in Washington I guess this is primarily Puget Sound Energy and, um, and maybe another, uh, to uh, divest, which is maybe not the, the, the correct regulatory word, but to begin to divest their interests in uh, out-of-state coal power, specifically the coal strip power plant in eastern mm-hmm. Montana. I think that was a, a significant development.
0: I think we're going to see more of that too. We see a lot of these aging coal plants. Right. You know, the combination of the, the fact that these plants are so old, um, the lack of competition or competitive ability to, to compete against natural gas at these low prices. Right. Um, you know, are continuing challenges. And I think we're going to probably see. A lot of these coal plants closing down over the next 10, 15 years, and, and uh, a lot of infrastructure decisions that are going to be need to, need to be made around those closures. You know, one of the things that in the West was uh, very active a, a few years ago was trying to address a sort of chicken and egg issue that you have with uh, renewable capacity that's available in places where you don't have a good transmission infrastructure in order to build the Capacity, so mm-hmm. you can't build the line until you have something you know that's going to deliver power to it, and you can't get financing for a renewable project if you don't have transmission going to it. So right, right. there is like a chicken and egg problem, and a lot of Western states, uh, Texas, Colorado, uh, a number of others, really set in place some some um, incentive programs to try and get utilities to build out transmission to these areas of high renewable capacity, and we see. We saw this year in um, New Hampshire, they're doing a, a similar right. study to look at renewable corridors, uh, where they might want to be building uh, transmission to get to get renewables to, delivered, and also in Vermont, where they set aside a portion of their standard offer, offer program for specific uh, areas where they feel citing. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, citing they need to yeah. develop.
1: I guess uh, a a Vista Corporation is probably the other Washington utility that I I couldn't remember that would be impacted by that that coal strip bill. Um, Before we leave infrastructure, I do want to mention there were two bills passed in California, Tom, that would would (laughs) impact the state's energy storage standards. So a study, AB 33, uh, on how to integrate more renewables through storage, Um, and then uh, AB 2868, which... Uh, which required an acceleration of that, of the same standard. So <clears throat> energy storage is, is on the map this session as well. Uh, natural gas legislation.
0: Well, you know, you were talking about uh, California. You know, they're uh, looking at natural gas storage uh, and also mm-hmm. leak detection mm-hmm. and, and mitigating leaks. And we see this... Uh, you know a lot of a lot of interest in what states can do around methane uh, leakage. Um, this is an area that uh, Colorado had some initial. Uh, initially, was the first state in the country to to put in place uh, methane regulations. We right. saw a number of states uh, start to copy that legislation. In fact, we saw the federal government uh, take up uh, methane regulation. But again we're getting indications that the next administration is probably not going to be as aggressive on uh, regulations associated with methane um, uh, methane emissions. Or they, they call them fugitive emissions, which are uh, methane emissions that are uh, released during the, pr- the processing and, and transportation of, of natural gas. And so, again, we're seeing that fall back on the states to try and really take a leadership role in this. And And, you know, one of the ways in which this this really impacts uh impacts things is that we were i was recently looking at uh, a study on uh, on transportation on on vehicles to determine what the climate benefit is or if there is a climate benefit of compressed natural gas vehicles right and that determination of whether or not there's a climate benefit Really depends on what happens upstream in terms the of
1: upstream uh, leakage of of escaped methane, right. or some, sometimes, as you mentioned, referred to as fugitive methane. Um, so, do depending the on Aliso what that Canyon, percentage is, um, it, you
0: know, really changes the, the oh, question yeah. of whether or not that's a climate benefit.
1: And so, the, uh, the well the well to wheels. I've heard that that phrasing used the right. well to wheels emissions. Or the life cycle emissions. Right. You, how... Argonne
0: National Labs has developed something called the GREET model, G-R-E-E-T, which looks at that sort of lifetime emissions modeling. And, you know, the as, as you, know, you know, Jeff, we, there's been a variety of studies that are kind of all over the map in terms of what is the percentage of methane, you know, leakage within the system. Um, and so what, what you... Are able to do around that methane emissions can have a a tremendous impact uh, on the market all the way down. Yeah,
1: no question. And Environmental Defense Fund is engaged in a in a massive study with a number of research institutions uh, and federal agencies to really get a handle on that. I think the uh, the Eliso Canyon uh, uh, gas leak. Uh, it, it would appear. We're always trying to read the tea leaves here, right? So what we is We're it never that, actually in these committee uh, rooms. What is it that made rooms, California so do so much? Yeah, what, <laughs> what, why has California done so much? And I think that's probably a reasonable, reasonable assumption. One of the things that um, we continue to see, although we saw slightly fewer bills this year, is bills that address the, the split estate, uh, the, yeah. uh, the mineral and land estate uh, issue and I, I don't remember how how many states have a split estate, uh, but that continues to be a point of contention and 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 need for clarity. Yeah. Uh, hol- uh, holders of the surface land estate and holders of the uh, subsurface mineral or water estate and how those two uh, conflict. Yeah. Often. and
0: and and, uh, and also how that right is protected because you know, right. You know they're considered uh, a property right, and a lot of times property rights are protected within the Constitution, and and so the designation of those subsurface uh, minerals or the subsurface gas as uh, as a, a property um, really uh, mm-hmm. gives that gives the holder of that property right a, a pretty strong constitutional right to to extract it, and and that's what we've seen, you know being a, a source of, of a great deal of uh, legislation in Supreme Courts all around. Uh, no
1: question. I thought it was also interesting that uh, uh, perhaps in reaction to the, to the surge in earthquakes uh, linked to uh, in, in reinjection of, of, in Oklahoma. of produced water yep. uh, from natural gas development in Oklahoma, this was HB 3158, um, gave broader powers is how I would interpret it uh, to the Oklahoma uh, Corporation Commission uh, to react to emergencies, uh, hold hearings, um, take necessary actions, etc. Um, and that's—I um, think—that might be important legislation to watch. Of course, this is the home state of our uh, of the new EPA administrator uh, uh, elect, um, and so something to watch there and the EPA
0: did come out with some really great guidance around injection of wastewater right Um, and and what happened in Oklahoma was they were injecting wastewater into areas that had uh, some seismic uh, activity or risk of seismic activity and that increased pressure that was created uh, subsurface by the wastewater injection really triggered some of that seismic activity and so the EPA and and um, uh, Geologic Society all mm-hmm. studied that and came up with some recommendations. But they continue to to pass uh, legislation around around that and to mitigate those problems.
1: Regulatory, regulatory, uh, and this is and and we will come clean that this is one of our catch-all uh, uh, categories <laughs> here. But pretty active. doesn't fit
0: in one of the categories. It's regulatory.
1: Sixty-one bills were enacted. We talked about these omnibus bills, there were yeah, six of them, Big ones. and they were huge. Uh, uh, we didn't talk about the, uh, uh, the Rocky Mountain Power, I believe it was referred to as STEP. The STEP legislation in Utah, SB 115, uh, did a, uh, too many things really to sort of fully recount, but having a lot to do with cost recovery, cost recovery for clean energy programs uh, for Rocky Mountain Power. Um, this was a bill that um, I think had uh, uh, gone down in a floor vote and came back, was amended, and sort of brought back to life. Uh, and so this uh, a very broad uh, constituency here. But it also included things around electric vehicle uh, infrastructure, battery storage, solar. Interestingly, Tom, seeing some of these omnibus bills, they're addressing net metering and demand charges in a much, much bigger package of legislation and right. I think there's that happened several times this session.
0: Yeah. And it, it may go back to you know these the, this issue of you know you want something we want something right you know we're, we'll cut a deal. Right. Along the net metering front you know there was a, a, a similar deal like that or a, a lot of attention paid in Maine to uh, mm-hmm. net metering legislation that was looking at replacing net metering with a with a different model and it, it, it you know months and months of discussions with between the utility and solar advocates and various people to try and come up with a legislative solution they finally came up with one it passed through the legislature and then it got vetoed by the governor right right
1: uh (laughs) and a lot of these
0: things you know we're we're going through the report here pretty quickly but uh, people can go to the report, and and all of these uh, bills have links uh, within the PDF, and you can link straight to that legislation and see what those details are. And even if the bill didn't pass like that, or didn't you know become enacted like that one that I mentioned in Maine, you can still go to the to the bill text and see what the see what the uh, details of that bill were. So the
1: transportation sector is I mean we've talked about this we we had a uh, a conversation with Will Tour from the Southwest Energy Efficiency That's Project right. about changes in the transportation sector and it's it's really fascinating because this is this is you know pretty wide open right now there were 5 Autonomous Vehicle Bills enacted uh, this session. A Uh, new category. uh, A brand new, new, (laughs) yeah, interesting how policy reacts to technology in this way, but a a brand new category, um, California and Florida, uh, Louisiana, uh, Utah, and Tennessee. Those were the five states that enacted uh, autonomous vehicle uh, legislation. I think also, too, and I guess we address it in... um, uh, in financing, under um, under uh, this would be more of under uh, taxation, but how states are addressing shortfalls in uh, gasoline tax revenue. Yeah, and that's um, been
0: happening, and it's happening uh, in conjunction with electric vehicles, of course. Yeah, which exactly. Don't buy that's gas, right? But but also just more efficient vehicles. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as vehicles get more efficient, most states have a uh, a volumetric tax on their on their uh, on their gas so it's based on the amount of gas that you're buying as opposed to you know something that's based on the price of the gas and um, and so as people are using less gasoline to go the same distance yeah they're paying less into the highway fund but the highways still need to be maintained
1: yeah it's and it's fascinating right there there have been proposals around tracking VMT Uh, vehicle miles traveled as you can imagine that would create any number of problems around uh, state government tracking how much we're driving uh, but it perhaps would be more equitable Mm -hmm. Um, there are a lot of proposals around uh, changing registration fees or licensing fees sort of point of sale point of registration those sorts of things Uh, perhaps charging EVs more uh, because they're obviously not using as much gasoline. So that's a really kind of fascinating, you talked at the beginning of this, Tom, where states are sort of, uh, well, uh, leading, but also sort of filling in the gaps here. Yeah. Um, absent action at the federal level to reform the gasoline tax, I think states are really looking at how to address their shortfalls, and it, and it sort of ekes into advanced transportation solutions yeah. as, a, as a way for them to do that. Right. Um, and
0: what they did, you know, what they have done in a few states is that they'll, and, and they do this with, in, in conjunction with and with the support of the electric vehicle industry, implement some sort of a registration fee that's right. dedicated to highways. But one of the things that uh, has been negotiated in a number of states is that initially those funds are going to go to helping to build out electric vehicle charging infrastructure until you reach a certain threshold of vehicles that are actually operating in the state, and then and then that money would uh, then go into the highway uh, fund. Um, so we're tra- we're seeing are starting to see some of these you know changes uh, to react to the, the to the changing technology. You know another thing around electric vehicles. Um, People or governments are looking at ways to provide an incentive, for example, for an electric vehicle that gets at sort of the, the, the frustration factor, right? So you've got uh, local governments that are oftentimes, you know, providing free parking if you have an electric vehicle. You know, you don't have to pay
1: for parking. So I believe Hawaii actually does this statewide. Yeah. Free EV parking. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then, uh, and then in in places like California and Maryland, they've got HOV um, yeah. uh, laws that allow you to use the HOV because in those places it's it's kind of a drag to be stuck in traffic. And if you can get in that HOV lane <laughs> with your EV, then you're then you're a lot happier. So they. Uh, so really trying to get at uh, some of those different incentives to get people into an electric
1: vehicle. So I'm gonna mi- uh, I'm gonna do something dangerous and make make a prediction. Oh geez. that we'll see uh, we'll see legislation uh, around the Volkswagen settlement, yeah. uh, next session here. And what will although be interesting is pretty clear about how agencies can use it. I, I would not be surprised if states make an attempt to, Balance budgets and spend it elsewhere. Yeah, and
0: I think we're gonna see. I think we're gonna see both what you said and also a number of legal challenges to the legislative yeah, authority to mm-hmm. to direct the uh, the spending of uh, of uh, litigation that has been determined by the courts and that and it's pretty specific in that litigation about what that money can be used for. Um, yeah. So uh, anytime that there's money on the table, though, legislatures like to. Um, like to take a little bit of control or at least try and exert some control over where where that money's spent. But I think uh, they're going to run into some...
1: Yeah, I think we'll see that this year. (laughs) Some legal hurdles in doing that. Let's end this before I make another uh, prediction. Yeah, because we'll well, play that back. Yeah, I'm sure you will.
0: (laughs) You've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University.
1: I'm your host, Tom Plant, And I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. Thanks a lot for listening.